to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. days old hymn what a day that will be when jesus sets me free second corinthians chapter 8 we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 and what we're going to see here as we go to this chapter we're going to see paul all of a sudden is going to tackle now a different topic as you're reading this you've been really focusing so much more so on that tearful letter on the on the conflict that the corinthians and paul had been going through And we took a little bit of an interlude there as Paul was sharing with the Corinthians all that had been going through his mind and his heart and the reason for that very, uh, what he would call or or he names a tearful letter, a rebuke to them. And then we we saw last week that Paul receives the word that they had repented of of their evil actions, of what they were doing, of their anger and their rebellion against them. And there was some uh, resolving and some reconciliation. We saw last week how that had brought much joy to Paul to see that that conflict had been buried and taken care of. Now he's going to jump, and before we get going, is everyone feeling comfortable? Is is anybody getting too warm, too cold, or how many are just right? You like mama bear, right? Or baby bear, whichever, which one? All right, okay, you're good, all right. Well, if it gets too warm, you may see me heading for the themes because the lights are starting to just really get there for me, but I'll try to hold out. But in chapter 8, we're going to see him give a new topic. And it's a topic in chapter 8 and verse 9 that if most of you knew what we're going to talk about, you might have skipped today. But I think it's one that we're all going to rejoice that God gives us a great word. And Father, with that, I pray that you would take your word now and use it to your glory. I pray that you would be with me as I speak. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let me speak words of true. Lord, I pray that you would fill up what is lacking in any of my ability in any of my speaking, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will not be prevented from doing the work that you've ordained this morning. I pray that you would uh, fill my stammering tongue with with words that would build up. And Lord, I pray that you'd help your word to take root. And may we look at this principle that's going on in Corinthians and how we can apply it to ourselves today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now what we're going to see here is Paul is going to give an example. He's now going to be talking about the churches of Macedonia, and he's going to say, look here what the Macedonians do, and then we're going to see in the second part of this passage today what he's wanting them to do in respect to that. So the first thing in verses 1 through 7, we're going to look at the example of the Macedonians. So you may read silently as I read out loud, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. Let's start with verse 1. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, speaking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 4, Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, 
and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so we should complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What we find ourselves is we're coming now into the ancient world. So I'm going to ask you now, this is what we need to do, is we kind of need to remove ourselves so much from our environment and go back 2,000 years and put ourselves in that ancient European country of Macedonia and the Greek city of Corinth, and then we find ourselves there in the center of Jerusalem and Judea of what was taking place back then. The apostles were raising funds, money, for the churches of Judea who were undergoing mighty persecution and recovering from a famine. This is similar to the giving that's that's noted in Acts chapter 11 earlier in Paul's ministry. Paul had a very tender heart towards Jerusalem and the churches in Judea. Though primarily a minister and a missionary to the Gentiles, Paul recognized that the Gentiles and his ministry in particular were indebted to the Jewish people as the chosen uh, people of God, as the people of the book, and that the promises in in God's grace has come to them and now has then been to the Gentiles. So Paul and the apostles would spend some time, and the churches around the world at that time were raising up money and funds for great persecution and famine that was going on in Judea. Judea was a very poor area, and they were in hurt and need, And so the churches were raising money, and the apostles would go and collect it. In today's passage, Paul is boasting of the hard attitude of the churches of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, you might have heard, it's more familiar for Alexander the Great. Many of you have heard of him. He was from Macedonia. They had, at one time, had captured and ruled uh, most of what we call the known world at that time. But Macedonia, you might have heard back in the 90s, that's where you hear of terms like Kosovo and Albania and things of that, Yugoslavia, things of that nature. But there were three main churches in Macedonia when Paul speaks of of those churches. That was the church of Berea. They were the people who would diligently search God's word. There were the people of Thessalonica. We have two letters to the church of Thessalonians in your New Testament. And then also Philippi, which we know as the book of of the letter of joy, also in the book of of, Thessalonians. Uh, the New Testament, the book Philippines. He is holding these churches, these three churches up, as an example to the church of Corinth. Essentially here what he's doing is he's telling them, do as the Macedonians do. Now this is going to be interesting because if you and I were to look at this, the Corinthians, for most people would say, boy, this is a model of a great church. They were very wealthy. They had many things. They were like the American culture as we saw through this. They were very uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They, they worked their ways from slaves and from, from just regular people, and they could attain great wealth on their own. But instead of looking at Corinth and saying, look how great this church is, he's going to flip it now to the churches that are north of Corinth. The grace of God, when he says, brothers, I want you to know about the grace of God, the grace of God in this passage refers to human generosity. It's referring to generosity from one person to the next. Paul is pointing out that the churches of Macedonia were given, listen to this, a supernatural desire and ability 
to give. And that's what we see here. That word grace is the same word where we get charisma. It's a gift from God. And what we're seeing is that they have a supernatural gift of desire and ability to give. And that it was, that it was a supernatural gift and a gift from God is evident not only in the circumstance of their giving, but also in the manner in which they give. So today I want to look at two things, the circumstance in which the Macedonians were given and also the manner. The circumstance was this, is that it was a mist of affliction and persecution. The church in Macedonia were no stranger to persecutions as if we were to take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17 and 18, or 16 and 17, excuse me, you would say they were churches that were full of persecutions. Though many had responded positively to the message of the gospel, there were many who rejected the gospel very, very violently. There were riots and beatings and imprisonments were the hallmarks of the reaction to the ministry of reconciliation, which is funny. Here it is. Paul is sharing the ministry of reconciliation. God is here to reconcile the world to himself and created riots and beatings, and many were put in prison. Paul also informs them that not only did the Macedonians give in the midst of their affliction, but also the second circumstance that we see is that they gave out of their poverty. They were poor people. Macedonia was not a place of great wealth as the Corinth. As we said, there was, a, there was a big difference between Corinth and the churches of Macedonia. They were struggling themselves, yet it did not stop them from begging for the privilege of giving to the saints of Jerusalem. As he says, it's their, their generosity and their part they were, gave, uh, or excuse me, they gave of themselves begging for the privilege of giving. For people who would say, wait a second, shouldn't we be receiving something? No, they begged to be able to give of the part. And that's what's remarkable. And that's what makes this point of, of giving so supernatural, is that they gave it all. They themselves could be a cause for relief, for help, and for financial assistance. Yet, instead of using their circumstance and an excuse not to give, as most of us do and most of the world does, they willingly gave with joy. And see, that's what we see about the supernatural gift of giving. It's so much different from the world. For the world, we give when our circumstances dictate that it's okay to give. But yet here they gave out of affliction and out of poverty. Paul remarks in verse 5, look at that. In verse 5 it says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul remarks at how in verse 5, of how they gave beyond Paul's expectations. They gave joyfully of themselves to the Lord. Whatever the Lord wants us to do, we will do so. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what's going on. But then they also gave joyfully to Paul's project of sending relief to other brothers and sisters in Christ. J. Murphy O'Connor, writing of the Macedonians in this passage, writes that despite their own difficulties, they did not turn inward. Their concern was for others. That was the one proof of authentic love. 
It was this that released the divine power into the world. And this is a deep contrast to the church of Corinth, whose eternal divisions, and you remember there was so much infighting between the Corinth, the Corinthians, and that risk putting a stumbling block in the way of the conversion of not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, and even endangered other Christians. So as we look at this portion, Paul is saying, look at their circumstances. In the midst of afflictions and persecutions, they, and in spite of their poverty, they gave. I just take a moment and challenge us. In what way do we use our generosity? Are we generous, generous just when, it, when it's good for us? Are we generous just when it's uh, uh, advantageous for us? Or do we also mirror the, church, mirror the church of Macedonia? There's always a reason not to give, right? We can find many of them. Just take a look on our kitchen table and look at the bills. Oh, there's so many reasons why I can't give or be generous. But Paul says here, despite afflictions, despite uh, poverty, no matter what your circumstances are, generosity was a hallmark of the church of Macedonia. Now, Paul takes time in this letter to the Corinthians to live up, or, or to the Corinthians, to live up to the Macedonian example. That's what he wants them to do. He's taking some time to rebuke them, but also encourage them. In verse 6, Paul wants Titus to finish the collection that the Corinthians had already started. Take your Bibles, you're in 2 Corinthians, turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter of that book. This is not something that Paul is saying you need to now do, you know, just start it now. This is something that they had already started. For Paul writes in that last chapter, we saw this last year as we went through 1 Corinthians, that Paul had wrote them, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. At this point, Paul has kind of given them a rebuke. None of us like rebuke, me included. But the Corinthians needed this rebuke and encouragement as they had gotten sidetracked with this endeavor. Like many of us, they turn inward when there's fighting or when things are tough, and we think about just us. So you can imagine in this church, if we were the Corinthian church, you would have this section who was fighting with this section, who was fighting with this section, who was gossiping about that section over there. That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. Pretty normal, pretty human, right? But in it, they were so inwardly focused that they had forgot about what God was doing outside of the church. Don't we do that? Many times that's what happens in our lives about generosity, whether it's generosity with our money, with our time, with our energy, with our talents, and our gifts and our abilities, as we find ourselves thinking about us and our circumstances and our you know, things that are going on in our life. We need to realize is that God has said it's not about all of us. We've got to take ourselves off that throne. The Corinthians needed this rebuke. In verse 7, Paul lists some areas they were excelling and maturing in. 
he's not just blowing them and blasting them away. He lists some things that they were doing very well in. He says, in your faith, you're very strong. You believe God, you test Him. You're not living it out, but at least you're following through in some things. In your speech, you're very good in your speaking and your rhetorical. But that was also creating problems. Also, he says, you're, very, you're excelling and maturing in your knowledge of the gospel and of the scriptures. And now he challenged them to excel in the grace gift of generosity also. In verse 3, now we go to the manner. The circumstance of their giving was one of affliction and great poverty. But now in verse 3, Paul's going to relate the manner in which the Macedonians gave. And it was threefold. They gave voluntarily, they gave sacrificially, and they gave generous, or generously. And we see that where it says in verse 2 or verse 3, for they gave according to their means. As I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. John MacArthur, writing of this, writes that they gave according to their means, means they gave proportionally. God sets no fixed amount or percentages and expects his people to give, but expects his people to give based on what they have. In other words, God is not asking you to give what you don't have. He says it's according to your means, so the giving is proportionate. But also, he says, they gave beyond their means in the fact that not only was it uh, gen- or generously, but it was also sacrificial. God's people are to give according to what they have, yet it must be proportion that is sacrificial. And I think that's one of the things that I want to challenge us as Christians as we excel in this gift, is that we need to sacrifice. You know, a little bit later we take an offering, and I know some people have some problems with offerings and so on and so forth. But many times you and I give what's left over, do we not? But we don't give what's sacrificial. In other words, we'll give to someone else. And I see this in marriages. And see, what I'm about to give you here is more than just money, but it's, 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 it's in a place, it's in your relationships, it's in your business, employee, employee relationships. How much do you give? Do you give sacrificially or do you just give what's left over? In other words, your love, does it cost you anything? It ought to cost us something. We ought to be able to give something up and say, I want to give this. If we just give out of our excess, what does it truly mean? Seriously, think about it. What does it truly mean if we're giving of just the excess of what's left over, if it costs us nothing? but also they gave of their own accord. Literally, it says, one who chooses his own course of action. Giving is voluntary. God's people are not to give out of compulsion, manipulation, and intimidation. And I'll have to say that many times, we as churches and pastors have used those methods to get people to give, and we need to confess that and deny that and say no longer, repent of it. You'll never hear that from the church is God has called you to give and God gives us the gift of giving and being generosity but it's not of compulsion, manipulation or intimidation so Paul marks, be like the Macedonians no matter what your circumstances are be generous and then whatever the manner is give voluntarily, give sacrificially and give generously now he's going to tell us and tells us why we're to give 
And here he's now going to focus a little bit more now on the Corinth. He's been spotlighting the Macedonians. Now he says, here's why you need to give as they do. Let's follow through. We're now in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 8. Paul writes, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Verse 10. And in this manner I gave gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also a desire. So they they started it a year ago. They had a desire to do it. But again, it had been sidetracked. Verse 11. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. We hear that word quite a bit nowadays in the political culture. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Verse 8, Paul is writing that this opportunity to give generously would prove whether or not their love was genuine. Hence why we say love is something that's given voluntarily. It's not something that, that we're compelled to do. We give sacrificially. We give our own desire. And here's what he's saying is that their love will prove whether or not their love, or their giving, whether or not their love is genuine. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John have written this. One who loves, gives. Here's a verse, Romans chapter 12. He says, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Contribute to the saints and seek to show hospitality. He writes to the Galatians, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Take your Bible real quickly and turn to 1 John if you would with me. Very important portion of scripture in the matter of giving and of generosity. First John chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle John is writing, and he says, By this we know love, that he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or in truth. And you and I, though we see this in Scripture, we know this instinctively. We know truly who those who are loved. It's by how generous they are in their time and in their giving and in all sorts of areas. Those that we love, we're generous with them. We see a need, we reach out to them. 
Paul echoes John in verse 9 by using the example of Christ's sacrificial, generous, and voluntary giving of himself to reconcile us to God. And when we give, it's a testimony and a representation of what God has done for us. For while we were yet sinners, while we were disobedient to God, while we were in rebellion, what's the word? Christ died for us. Is it generous for us to give to people that we love and care about? Or is it generous to give to those that are angry with us or bitter? People that we wouldn't walk to in front of a street. People that we would ignore. People that we just kind of keep out of our sight. Are you one of those people when you see those commercials come on TV and it's a little child, it's a need. Do you clip, flip through it real quickly? Many of us are. Or we've just come so deadened to the needs of this world that we no longer remember that we too were once poor. Not in a financial sense, but we were poor. And the fact that we had nothing to bring to God, be it Jesus provided what God had required of us. Paul reminds them of their earlier desire to join in and to give a year ago in this relief project. And now he challenges them to give. And he says your motivation to give ought to be because you've received generously from God. So we're to give as God has given to us. John MacArthur writes concerning of their readiness and eagerness to give. He says, God is most concerned with the heart attitude of the giver, not the amount he gives. Let me say that once again. The churches and, 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 and Christians get a bad rep on this, I believe, many times. They think we're all about money and that's all we're looking for. But what he says here, God is most concerned with the heart attitude of the giver, not the amount he gives, according to what a person has. And what does a person have? Only that which God has given him, correct? Whatever a person has is the resource out of which he should give. That's why there's no set amounts of percentages of giving anywhere stated in the New Testament. The implication that is one has much, he can give much. If he has little, he can give only a little, not according to what he does not have. This is important. Believers do not need to go into debt to give nor to lower themselves to a poverty level. God never asked believers to impoverish themselves. The Macedonians received a special blessing of grace from God to give the way that he did. I think Paul is telling the Corinthians, you should excel and pray for this gift of giving also. We had a, uh, a friend of ours, Don and I did, when we first uh, got married, met and dating got married. His name was Gary. And loved Gary. He loved God. He had gone to college and, and was going to be a preacher. And he was actually kind of on staff at the church we are, but he could never, ever spend any time at the church or in the ministry. And I said, why, why can't you do that? What, what's going on? Well, he had such a desire for, for missions, for mis missionaries, that he wanted to give an X amount of money. So every year he would say, I'm going to give X amount of money uh, to, to these missionaries. And to do so, he had taken on a second job. He worked one job, then he worked another. He worked a good full-time job, 
but then he worked a second job, and it would just take him. He would work 20, 30 hours at the second job, all so that he could give to those missionaries that had a need. He had a gift of giving. giving. To him, it was voluntary, but he sacrificed. He sacrificed quite a bit to do so. But concerning fairness, MacArthur writes that fairness refers to a condition of equilibrium. It's the word balance. The idea is that the body of Christ, some believers who have more than they need should help those who have far less than they need. And I think, and I want to I thank you, church, for doing that. Many of you have done so. Our deacons fund has been growing, our food pantry has been growing. Many of you have been able to have been blessed with that. And I thank you for following through. This is not, however, a scheme of Paul to redistribute wealth within the church, but rather it's meant to meet basic needs. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. From 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see as Paul writes to his son Timothy, spiritual son Timothy, he has a word of challenge to those that God has given much. And we need to realize that, that whatever we have comes from God. So the circumstance of their giving was in affliction and in poverty. The manner of their giving was one of voluntary, sacrificially, and generous, generously. In 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 17. Paul warns him, he says, As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but let them set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. What Paul is selling them is very something that you and I know, is that the way that we spend our money, the way that we think of our money, really dictates the pattern or what our heart truly is. And it's really not so much how much money that you make, it's what you think of money. It's what you think money does for you. And so in there, there's a challenge for you and I. We live in a society that is very rich. You may say, well, I'm not rich, but let me tell you, you're richer than probably 99.8% of the world. And you and I have everything that we have is a gift from God. And God says, I have not given that to you, whatever it may be. There are some God has given quite a bit. There are some that God has given very little. But God says, I have not given you that so that you can hold on to it and hoard it. You know what God calls that type of person? We see it in Luke. He calls them a fool. You fool. It's the parable of the rich fool. Look it up. It says, you fool, your life will be required. Where will you go? Paul uses in verse 15, he uses the example of Israel and the manna in Exodus 16, 18, to make the point, is that we should give proportionally, we should give equally so that each has enough, and that we can share with each other 
knowing that God will provide what is necessary for us to have in life. We have a short message this morning. You can say amen. I want to end by this, and I want you to hear me, because as soon as we talk about giving, you can see the lights go out for most people. But this is important. Giving is a privilege, not an obligation. God invites us to join Him in His work, whether it's supporting the church and its needs, whether it's supporting the people of the church, whether it's supporting other churches and missionary uh, endeavors, or even those outside the church. We are to have generous hearts regardless of our circumstances. For many of us, we can say, wait a second, you don't understand. I've lost my house, it's been foreclosed. We live in a time where economically it is very difficult. I need to save everything that I have because it's for me and my family. But God has called us to no matter in all circumstances, excuse me, to be generous. This grace of giving is a fulfillment of loving your neighbor as yourself. We know it as the second commandment. We remember that all people are made in the image of God, even the guy that's sitting on the side of the road and saying, help me, homeless. And that he's called us to reach out with compassion. Phil Johnson writes, to ignore the needs of suffering people is to treat the image of God in them with contempt. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 5 says, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. Neglecting the needs of a person who is hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or imprisonment is a tantamount to scorning the Lord himself exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. Insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to, uh, you did it to me. In the mission of the church, and I want you to hear this as we're ready to close, Kevin e. Young writes that one of the lessons that you and I are to learn is that God's people are to be generous. We have a generous God who expects us to be generous with what he's given us. It should be a life principle for you and I to be generous. He writes that we must deliberately plan our financial lives so that you and I have extra left over to give those in need. Let me ask you, is that in your budget? Is giving to the church, giving to the deacon's fund, giving to others, is that a budget item? Or is it like I spend all on myself, I pay my bills, I go to my movies, I eat my dinner, I eat my lunch, I go on my dates, oh, I have a little bit left. Go with God. It's a challenging word to the Corinthians, and I believe it's a challenging word to you and I. So here's my words for you. May you and I, like the Church of Macedonia, excel in the grace gift of giving voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously as God has directed. Father, I pray that we do so. I know this can be a difficult message. It's not one that we like to hear. But Lord, I thank you for the example of the Macedonians. Lord, may we strive to have that gift. Give us the desire and the ability to give. 
And we thank you, Lord, that you have shared with us how we're to give responsibly without taking from our families, without taking from what was, is necessary. But Lord, what we think about giving really reflects on what we think of you and your providence. And so I pray that you would stir within our hearts, Lord, as you have determined for us to give, may we give to glorify you. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.